Okay. So if you would uh, turn with me tonight to the first chapter of John. And one thing I want to make sure that you all understand, uh, and I hope we do by the end of the evening, and we may not be very long tonight, but that's okay. Of course, I've said that how many times, and then we wind up being a 55-minute uh, class. But I, I want to say this tonight for all of you, is that how many of us can quote Scripture liberally? I mean, we, can, we, we have the Word of God in our knowledge, in our mind, and we can think about a certain situation that we get ourselves into, and all of a sudden a Scripture that we know will be quickened to us, and we can quote the Scripture. And we don't have to be in church for that to happen in us. We, it just happens. It's, it's where the mind is at when it comes to the Word of God. So there's not one person that's on here tonight that doesn't have that take place in their mind. It, it happens for all of us all the time, I'm going to say. And so one thing I want to uh, bring an assurance to for all of us is that if we are if we are who we say we are, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, and that word has become so precious to the heart that those scriptures are stored in our minds, then uh, even though we don't understand what that scripture is saying, and the only way we can make application to the scripture is in through the circumstances of the flesh, what is still what is still your possession? It is still that word of God. And so I want to make perfectly clear for everyone tonight is that there is no accusation before the Lord when you have in your storehouse the Word of God. Absolutely not. I mean, you have in your storehouse the Word of God. And so I say that that, I know it is, for me, that is very important because then when I think about certain things, I'm not, re, I'm not looking at the circumstances of my life and referring to those things, I'm looking at the Word of God that is in the storehouse uh, of my relationship in Jesus Christ and drawing from that storehouse the Scripture to remind me of who I am and that I belong to, that I am the purchased possession of the Lord. And so um, I don't want anyone uh, to think that 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 storehouse of the word that you possess is against God because it is not against God. It is God. Now, there is the uh, side of it where we always want to interpret what it says for God. That we don't want to do. That is sin. Let's just be very straightforward about it. That part of it where we want to interpret it especially interpret it looking at our, our, our worldly circumstances or looking at our flesh, that interpretation that we enter into uh, and then we enter into prayer based upon that interpretation, that is against God and God will not hear it. But what's still there? What is still the foundational uh, well that you went in to draw from? It's the Word of God. That part is God, and it will always be God. No, no matter how we try to frame it in our mind to please ourselves, 
it's still the Word of God. And so I want to make that very clear for all of us because having that form of reference, um, and when I say the storehouse, it's, it's your life in Christ where that exists. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to draw from it because you wouldn't know Christ and you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the Scripture as a possession in the heart. It wouldn't be there. And so uh, that's where it's the accumulation of those things that become our treasure. We're, and where we, be, we begin to, it's the accumulation of those things where Christ begins to be formed in us. So the reason that we show up on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or a Thursday night or a Monday night, however many times we choose to fellowship the Word of God, we are fellowshipping that Word that is in the storehouse that was put there by the Holy Ghost. You cannot put it there yourself. It's the storehouse of God in you, and it has been put there by the Holy Ghost. So I referred to Sunday, I referred to David uh, on the threshing floor of Ornak. Does anyone remember that? I hope you do. Because it makes, well, uh, maybe we should just turn to that and let's read the story. I think it's in, isn't it? Thank you. First Chronicles 21. And uh, I, I want to read it so that everybody hears it. It's a very, very um, important uh, parable in the Scripture. And um, because something's happening in, in the king, in King David. And David was made king by who? By the people or by the Lord? By the Lord. God made David king. Okay? Uh, I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So who incited David to number Israel? Satan did. How was Satan working to incite David to do it? Okay. David was thinking about numbering Israel so he would know how many men he had to go out to do battle. He was not trusting God. Now, Satan knew what David was working in his heart. Satan could come to it and expose it, manifest it, and cause David to fall. This is why when, we, when our mind is set on things in the earth and we stay in the thought of those things in the earth, is that not our infirmity? Is that not our weakness? Is that not what Satan begins to attack and cause us to make manifestation uh, an error, a sin? And the answer to that is, of course it is. I mean, you just think about the times in your life where you have given yourself over to your thoughts, and sure enough, they became incited in your mind, and... That's what you did. That's what you made manifest. How many times has that happened? Well, I will tell you for myself that that's how I began to catch myself in the parable that I was living out, is that I would set my heart on something that I really wanted to do or wanted, and uh, 
all of a sudden it would be done. I mean, it would just be done and you'd be like, well, here I go again. I did it again. I, I mean, it's just, it's a form of life that we um, justify to ourselves because of our own desire, okay? It becomes from our own desire. So, so David said to Joab and to the commanders of the army, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. And Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord the king, all of them my lord's servants? Why then would my lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? So did Joab know that it was wrong before the Lord? He did. And so he he did his best. He went to David and he did his best to show David the error of his thought. But we begin, we get so puffed up in our desire that we we just can't hear anyone. We cannot hear someone coming to us with the word of God and they're showing us the parable that we're in and we just won't hear it. We won't be exercised in it. But the king's word prevailed against Joab, so Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Israel. Excuse me, came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. But God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. Oh, my gosh. So what David had Joab do, God was not happy with, right? And God even sent Joab to David to tell David, don't do it. But David did it anyway. I'm hoping that in in this story that we're reading, the parable that we're reading in the Word of God, we begin to see how our own mind works when it comes to our own desire and what we think our possessions should be before the Lord. Because I'm telling you, this thing, this is a very power, powerful parable, and we're talking about a king. So if a king can fall prey to it, how easy then is it for those who are just servants to fall into it? And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. Oh, okay. So now what's working in David? Repentance. Repentance. I was talking to a young man the other day, and and uh, he made a really good statement. And the statement was, we were created for repentance. And that's true. We were created for repentance because when we fell, then the provoking of God, the provoking of that word that God hid in the heart is to bring us to repentance. Isn't that awesome? So that word that was stored up in David's heart, all of a sudden the air of his way now becomes amplified in his mind and he sees that he erred before God and that it's he, he needs to fall fall on his knees before the Lord Worship the Lord and repent of the sin. 
And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go say to David, Thus saith the Lord, Three things I offer you, choose one of them, that I may do it to you. (laughs) So now listen, if I fall, if I enter into sin, knowing that I shouldn't be doing it, and the Lord brings me to repentance, is there going to be a, what's the word I want? I don't want to use repercussion, but it's true. huh? There's going to be, that's a better word. There's going to be a consequence for what I've done. There's always a consequence for sin, just so you know. And the consequence is not destructive. The consequence is a result of the thought that we entered into and the manifestation that came from it. That's what the consequence is about. Then, excuse me. Okay, so Gad Gad came to David and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, choose what you will. Either three years of famine, three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemy overtakes you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Now listen to that. Let me ask you, when David made his choice, what was he drawing from when he made it? He was drawing from the word of God that he had in his heart. He was drawing from the well, from the garner of God. He was drawing from it to make his decision as to what the punishment would be. And I don't like to use the word punishment, but basically that's what it is. And so I will fall on the mercy of the Lord because God is very merciful. And I would rather fall on the mercy of the Lord than have God turn me over to the hand of man who would have great pleasure in doing nothing else but to destroy me. And that is so true. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw And he relented for the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working this destruction, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So, standing on the threshing floor of Ornan, and I, I explained to you on Sunday what that threshing floor was. That threshing floor is where they would go out and they would harvest the wheat and they would bring it onto the threshing floor. And on the threshing floor, uh, they would take staves and bind them, and then they'd, they'd thrash, the, thrash the wheat with those staves and um, separate the grain from the chaff. That's what the threshing floor was. And then the winds would come up and blow the chaff away because the chaff basically became a, like a powdery dust. 
And so the the wind would come up and blow that chaff away, and all that was left on the threshing floor was the pure grain. And then the grain would be uh, gathered up and placed into the storehouse or into the garner of God. And so much like the word of God is for us now, is we are we sit under the uh, planting of a lot of word. We, we sow a lot of word into the heart today. And I mean, we sow word on Monday night. We sow word on the elders, sow word on to, to one another on Tuesdays. Uh, then we're here on Wednesday sowing more word. And then we have a time on Thursdays where the deacons are sowing the word of God. Uh, and then here we are on Sundays again, sowing more word. And then we have conversations during the week with elders or deacons or one another. And we're, we're, we're going into the storehouse to sow more, sow more seeds, sow more word of God in you and in one another. And, man, we, we sow a lot of it. And we don't even realize what the, what the body that seed's going to have when it begins to come up. So some of it could be wheat. Some of it could be what? Tear. And you know what? Here's the amazing part is that because we don't understand the word of God, we have the word of God. We don't understand it because we don't understand it. We can't even discern between the wheat and the tear. We're not capable of it. We don't know how to how to recognize the difference. And so God sends his angels into the field. And I'm, this is where I become so thankful. God sends his angels into the field to help discern between the wheat and the tare. And what do they do? What's the, how, how did God instruct them to, to harvest it? Okay, so th- they have to grow up together, right? And then as they begin to mature, now you can tell the difference because they have a different structure, a different body, so you know the difference between uh, that which is wheat and that which is a tear. You can tell there's a there's a difference. There's an appearance of a difference between a, a, a wheat and a tear. And now the angels can come and they can and they can harvest it and and destroy the chaff, destroy the tear, and bring the wheat into the threshing floor and allow the threshing floor uh, to separate the chaff from the wheat, and the wheat becomes the pure word of God. And that's just a great illustration to what's happening in us now. We have the same provision of God working in the heart today. And it's only by the work of the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit, that begins to winnow that that seed that God has put in the heart and separate that seed from the chaff, remove the chaff from the fleshing floor, and only that good word that's stored up in the garner of God becomes the very thing that draws us to God or begins to feed us in the body of Christ. It's awesome. And so I wanted to make made this make it very apparent. Let me go on. Let's finish this. Um, and David lifted, it is enough. Stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan. And David lifted up, lifted up his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. And in his hand, a, a drawn sword stretched out over Israel. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their face. 
And David said to God, Was it not I who gave command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house, but do not let the plague be on your people. So you can begin to see the heart of the man of God. Now the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. So Gad came with the word of the Lord, right? And delivered it unto David. Now Ornan was threshing wheat, and he turned and he saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. So who saw the angel? Ornan did. Ornan saw the angel. And David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and paid homage to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord, and give it to me at, at its full price, that the plague may be averted from the people. So David didn't go out bargain hunting, right? He knew he had to pay full price for that threshing floor because his sin was great. He understood that the sin was his and his alone. He knew what he was doing here by the word of God, by the word that was stored up in his heart. Then Ornan said to David, Take it and let my lord king do what he seems to him. See, I give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing uh, sledges uh, for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No. I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, no offer, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold. That's called being in the right place at the right time. Not really. I, I say that tongue in cheek. By gold of weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the name of the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offerings. Then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into the sheath. So David built this altar and you know what the altar is, right? It's a symbol, it's it's a symbol of sacrifice where where did Abraham Abraham bound Isaac and set him on what? On an altar. Why, why was it the altar? When uh, Isaiah was in the, in the throne room of God, seeing the cherubims, the, the cherubim came off the, the throne of the Lord and took a coal off what? The altar. The altar was the place where the blood of Jesus Christ was given for the sins of the people. It's a great place of purifying. And because it's a great place of purifying, shouldn't it also be a great place of rejoicing? Because our sins are forgiven? And the answer to that is yes. So David knew the word of God. He had it in his storehouse, and he knew how to, what to draw from in order to make the sacrifice before the Lord and to 
atone for his sin. And at that time when David saw the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness and the altar of burnt offering, were at that time in the high place of Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord. So now David makes this sacrifice on the altar of the Lord, right? And after, the, after God answered him, and David knew that God had answered him, what came upon David about this place? This is the house of God. This, this is the place. This is the house of God. And David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Wow. So the reason I, I wanted to bring that, uh, provoke you with that parable tonight is that our mindset when it comes to who we are and how the Word of God has been stored up in our hearts, there are times when we will fall prey to sin. Nobody's saying that you're never going to sin. Even though there's no sin in Jesus, right? Yet, we still have many aspects of flesh that exist in our thoughts. And so, the reason that the Word of God has been stored up in the heart is so that when we see ourselves in sin, God can send the angels to provoke us by that Word of God. That Word of God will be quickened in our mind. We can draw from that storehouse the Word of God. And we can come before the Lord in a great repentance. Now, I think for myself, I can't think of a greater provision that God hath made for us in Jesus Christ. So that word that you have stored up in your heart, what is it? Who is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is God. And it became flesh in Jesus Christ, and it was made manifest in Jesus Christ. And so now the flesh, or excuse me, now the Word of God, I can see it in, in the Spirit, in my mind. I can see the Word of God. I can hear it instructing me. I can see it leading me into the righteousness of of who God is. So it's not me that's leading myself into righteousness. And a lot of us take those thoughts often that, well, I've got this word that's leading me into the righteousness of God, and it's I'm using it this way. No, believe me, you can do nothing of yourself. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. That word has been stored in your heart. God put it there. And it's God who provokes you to the remembrance of it so that, you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That's why it's there. It's Jesus' work. It's the working of the Spirit of God for your sake and to keep you in the remembrance of who you are in prophecy as a son of God and keep you from falling into the air of being unacceptable or not remembering 
God. Any questions about that right now? Before I go on to one other thing that I want to bring you. Any questions? Any thoughts? Okay, I'm going on then. So now turn with me to John, the first chapter. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ died to take away your sin? Amen? And so, if I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that He is God, and God came, put Himself on a cross, to take away the sin of the world, which is in me, my world. He took away every sin in it. Every sin in it. And then he leaves in me the Word of God. And he lets that Word of God work to the place that it begins to make manifest the thoughts that were in that, that caused me to sin or caused me to err. He's not judging me for the sin. He's showing me how my thought erred in the word of God and caused me to sin. There's a big difference in that and God laying to blame or putting you in condemnation because of sin. That's not God. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus according to John 3:19. And so if I'm in condemnation, I know that my thoughts are not in Jesus Christ. I know that I'm in my own mind. Can everybody say amen to that? And sometimes we just need to be reminded, correct? How many? Often we need to be reminded. Or we'll be provoked in the Word of God, and when the provoking of the Word of God comes, what's the first thing we fall into? Condemnation. Or the offense. Or some other working of the devil. Because we look at ourselves in the flesh and not look at ourselves in relationship to who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's how we always want to see ourselves. So uh, I'm in the first chapter. I'm coming um, to where Nathaniel is called of the Lord. And um, so everything that I've talked about tonight, about that word that's been hidden in your heart, and our knowledge of the Scripture, uh, the memorization that we have, and I don't believe it's of our own works. I believe it's just because we've been dutiful to following the Lord and studying the Word of God and reading our Bibles to where these things have become who we are in our mind. We just don't want to get locked into mindsets where we think we know it all or we think we have an, interpret an interpretation of something that we don't have. We don't want to go there. We want to stay out of the flesh and we want to make sure that all, those, all that working of the Word of God that we have in us it's in our storehouse so that the Spirit of God can move upon it and translate it in our minds to the Holy Ghost. Lift us into the Spirit. So now Jesus is going to have, a, have this conversation with Nathaniel, who he has now called as a disciple. And we don't get to hear much about Nathaniel when, in the Scriptures. But this is very provoking, and it was when I read it today, and I was like, man, this is... What a greater place to be than how Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel 
in this moment. And he's making him a promise. He's giving him something that will uh, anchor his soul to who Jesus is in the forever life, in eternal life. Uh, And that's, I'm telling you, it works that way for all of us. So let me start reading um, in verse 40. uh, No, let me back up before then. Verse 45, let's start there. And Philip found Nathanael and, and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So now, Philip goes to Nathanael, and what does Philip quote to Nathanael? What does he say to him? Yeah, he draws from the, the garner of God. He draws from the storehouse that's in his heart, and he says, we have found it, the Messiah. We have found him. And I don't, when he said it to him, I don't believe he just said, hey, you know what, guess what, guess what? No, he was declaring Jesus to Nathaniel. He said, we have found the Messiah. Everything that we have hoped for, everything that we've been waiting for when it comes to what Moses said and what the prophet said, he is here. Our time is now. That's awesome. Excuse me. And we have found him who Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? So, so when, when Nathanael when speaks then, it's like, well, how can this be? I, because we all expected Jesus or the Messiah to come on a white horse to destroy uh, all the nations around us and to make Israel the greatest nation in the world again. So he had the word of God in his heart, right? But his expectation in that same word wasn't correct. It wasn't right. And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. So Jesus sees Nathanael and he knows immediately who he is, doesn't he? Who is he? He's the son of God. He is a son of God. Nathanael said unto him, when, knowest, when did you know me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now that does something to Nathanael's mind. All of a sudden his mind opens up. Right? And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, what would cause Nathanael to say that about Jesus? That word that was hid in his heart was now being made manifest. An angel of the Lord was sent from the Father to make that word that was hid in Nathanael's heart Make it known in his mind. And by making that word known and agreeing with that word, he could now agree with the Son of God and know that he was the King of Israel.
That's powerful, huh? I think that is without measure the power of God revealing himself to all men. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe, you shall, you shall see greater things than these. Now Jesus is going to tell him, he's going to give him a promise. And this promise that he gives him binds him to Jesus Christ in eternal life. And it's the same, the same word that is hid in your heart, the same sowing of the seed that has come unto you all these years, the same uh, desire that God had for for Nathaniel, God has for you. Now listen to this. Truly, truly, I say unto you, hereafter, from now on, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, a lot of us have come to the place where we've, we have allowed Satan to take away from us the value of that seed that God hath hid in the heart. Thinking that, well, I don't have it. I haven't had a dream. I haven't had a vision. I haven't had the revelation of Jesus. I haven't had this. I haven't had that. I want to tell you something tonight, and I I pray that every one of you hear me, and I pray that all those thoughts that you have in you of those things disappear at my word tonight, that they no longer occupy your thought, because that word that God has hid in your heart, that word that is cherished in your mind, came from God. And in God's time, he's going to send his angels and he's going to awaken that word in you. And you will also say, thou art the Christ, thou art the king of Israel. And when you say it, just by uttering those words, Jesus is going to tell you. From now on, you shall see heaven open and you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Who else saw angels ascending and descending? Wasn't it Jacob in the Old Testament? So now is Jesus talking about the fulfillment of the Old Testament even to the disciples in the New Testament? And the answer to that is yes. Who did he talk to about the Son of Man? Wasn't it Daniel in the seventh chapter? And the answer is yes. Go read it. I believe it's the 14th and 15th verse in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. I think it's the 28th chapter of Genesis where Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending upon the ladder of God. And who's at the top of the ladder in in Jacob's dream? Well, the Bible says God, but it was Jesus. Because he's the revelation of the word by the angel, right? And so, uh, what I want to leave you with tonight, and I, I pray that what was said tonight and the things that were preached to you tonight will begin to open your mind to that good word that has been sown into your heart. 
and that you allow the Spirit of God to begin to unlock it for you. You let the provoking of the Word of God begin to open your mind and even allow it to show you how you have sinned. Because if you will see how your thoughts allowed you to sin, then will not that word that God has hid in your heart bring, in, bring you to the place where you will pay homage to the Father and have great reverence for God in repentance? And the answer is, I certainly hope so. I pray that. And so I am so thankful. I mean, you look at it from the perspective that I have preached it to you tonight. I don't care what denomination you're in. I don't care um, what government you're under when it comes to the Word of God. Listen, it is the Word of God. And we have got to come back to the place where we respect it as the Word of God. And we did not obtain it into the heart by ourselves. The angels of the Lord brought it to us and planted it and stored it up in the garner of God in the heart so that in, uh, in times of tribulation, in times of distress, that Word can be brought back to your remembrance and you can call upon the name of the Lord and it will begin to free your mind from the occupation of things that are not of God. That's awesome. That's a very powerful thing that God had done for us. And he doesn't want us to forget that those things have been given to us freely. Amen? So I hope that in the things that we have said for you tonight, I hope that it has done something for you. I hope that it has unlocked some things in your mind that have been hidden to allow you to be quickened of the Lord in such a way that the Spirit of God moves upon it and it begins to impart unto you this great reverence, this great worship of the Lord. And as you worship God in spirit and in truth because of this, these words being uh, unlocked and brought forth out of the garner of God, it will begin to identify you as his son and you will know without a doubt that you are a son of God and that you will see heaven open and you shall see uh, the angels of God ascending and descending and you will know that it's from God. Amen.